So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. I want to have a little bit of fun today and talk about this idea of whether or not I personally would invest with Grant Cardone. For those of you who have been kind of watching YouTube, I know a lot of the Undercover Billionaire episodes came up recently and I couldn't resist going and watching his episode. He's such a huge personality. I would arguably say he's one of the um, biggest celebrities in the real estate market these days. I think he's even become a little bigger than uh, Robert Kiyosaki, if that's possible. But I want to talk about how some of the things that he brought up during that undercover billionaire experience that I want to kind of glean some lessons from to help you understand the importance of inf- you know effective investment decision making. So one of the things that I really appreciated about that particular series, uh, Undercover Billionaire, is that Grant Cardone really reveals a very raw and vulnerable side to his personality. I've only ever prior to that seen him up on stage and he's just all show and he's he's a fantastic presenter. But it was really hard to really understand well what kind of human is he and I I think what what I would take away from that is that he's actually a really decent human being. Um very single-minded and one of the sharpest salespeople I have ever come across, you know, there's no embarrassment, there's no um, bashfulness and just that unrelenting ability to shake off rejection, dust yourself off and keep going. So on that front, I really, really admire him. And clearly you can't become a billionaire in any kind of investing if you don't have, you know, some secret sauce as far as not only being able to put the deals together but sell people on, you know, investing with you in those opportunities. So this is definitely not an episode to bash Grant Cardone. More I just want to kind of extract some lessons that I witnessed and saw and I'm wondering if other people saw them too. So let's talk first of all about um, the place of alternative investing in the context of that program. There was definitely uh, a section in the middle there where he's, trying to share a real estate deal with some um, some barbers. Now, what he illustrated beautifully is that, you know, investing in these deals where you're making money from nothing is not rocket science. They, you know, if you if you find the right language, alternative investing and that specific deal was very easily explained. But I just want to clarify a couple of points. Number one, a lot of alternative investing is really about structuring deals and, you know, accessing strategies that sit outside of mainstream. So things like the property syndication that he talked about, private funds, joint ventures, lending deals, those sorts of things, they kind of sit to the side of what we think about when we think about traditional investing, either in property or in, you know, managed funds and shares and bonds and things like that. The thing to understand though is that alternative investing should be really thought about as a spectrum. 
And I know like if you talk to most average people about alternative investments, you know, the heckles will go up, the hairs on the back of their neck will stand up because their view is that, you know, it's high risk, um, high return type sort of deals. But what I want to emphasize today is that alternative investments are quite a wide it's, it's quite a broad term is probably a better way of saying it. it's a big term and there are lots of buckets of strategies. And then within those buckets of strategies, there are varying degrees of risk return. Now, at one end of the spectrum, you can have all sorts of hair raising, crazy alternative investments, which include things like venture capital, seed capital, startups. You know, they're still investments, but you know, that is the high risk, high octane end of the spectrum. And there's, you know, lots of other strategies that sit in there as well. At the other end of the spectrum, there are alternative investments, which in my world are pretty boring in some cases, very bread and butter, you know, offer solid cash flow, but significantly lower risk than even your traditional property or shares, which you might acquire for a buy and hold, partly because they don't require a rising market. So, you know, if you think about alternative investments as a spectrum, I definitely sit down one end, which is the super conservative end. I like deals that are backed by real property. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that because definitely that scene in Undercover Billionaire, what Grant Cardone illustrated beautifully is that if you are creative around the way that a deal is structured, not only can it still be relatively safe, but you can also participate as a uh, an investor with a very low level of capital and get a very amplified return, which is really what alternative investing is is really all about from my perspective. Once again, loved his swag. He's such a character and I love that to some degree he really hams that up for the camera. So what I want to talk about specifically in terms of lessons is, first of all, no one in the barbershop wanted to do the deal, which at the time I could see he was totally gutted about, and especially because he's Grant Cardone and he's not used to having people say no, they don't want to put money into his deals. Obviously, he was pretending to be someone else. But the second thing is I want to kind of pull apart why me personally, if I'd been someone in that room, I too would not have invested. And I want to really kind of dissect why he probably had no success. And maybe at the time he was, you know, quite emotional and, and you know, he had this deadline. He had to, you know, make this million-dollar business in 90 days from zero. I think he got given $100 when he landed. What was awesome about the whole series was it articulates really clearly that smart thinkers like Grant Cardone are, you know, they recognize that if you want to go from zero to a seven, eight figure business really fast, you need to leverage your network. And definitely in my own experience, you know, leveraging into better networks was the thing that gave me not just a a 1% change in trajectory, but a huge change in trajectory in terms of shaving years off my timeline to financial freedom and giving me exponential results. So Grant Cardone went in. The first thing he's doing is like, who are the movers and shakers in town? Who do I need to be in relationship with? to make deals. So that was a starting point. So that was a fabulous lesson for anyone who might've missed that. The way that uh, a billionaire thinks in terms of starting from zero is uh, is really different to what the average Joe might've done, which might've been to just go and get a job at you know somewhere, wherever, the supermarket or a restaurant or whatever, 
to just put food on the table and make a living. So people like Grant don't think that way. They're like, right, you know, let's cut the crap. Let's let's get a, a big result in the shortest possible time. Just going on from that in terms of lessons, the next lesson that I want to kind of show, you know, showcase here is that the reason I wouldn't have gone into the deal that he showcases in the barbershop, and I should probably do a quick recap, he'd found an apartment building. It was a really prominent building in town. The deal was worth $10 million. He was asking these barbers to chip in 20 grand each to create a 200000 deposit so he could secure the deal, give himself a period to go and do good due diligence, but he would have still then at some point needed to come up with a $2 million deposit to secure the deal and go to the bank to get the balance. It's a great deal. He was talking about how much cash flow the deal would be earning. He was talking about... You know, on this $10 million deal, there was going to be about $140,000 in net cash flow that they could improve as they renovated. And, you know, it, so it was a good deal. And, and he kind of showed that from a $2 million investment that over a period of a few years, they would make about $6 million. So it was a no brainer from the mechanics point of view. But I think that there were some, there were a few missing pieces for me in the way this deal was presented and, you know, ultimately why nobody put their hand up. People started to ask questions about, well, you know, how is this going to work? What is the structure going to be? Do we own it or do you own it? They were asking questions about returns. And what Grant did a great job of is taking this big deal and explaining it all and then just saying who wants in. The mistake I think he made is he glossed over the details and he didn't talk about what, when, where, how, you know, what sort of liquidity, how would people get out if they wanted out, Um you know, how was he planning to fund the renos? There was no project plan. There was no deal sheet. You know, usually what happens with these professionals who are, in this case, like putting together a syndication is you would have a private placement memorandum, which outlines exactly how the deal works. What if things go wrong? You know, what is the project plan? You know, how's things going to sort of map out over a, a period of time? And so, he didn't really have any of that, not, a, you know, let alone just um, the detailed document. He didn't even have a high-level summary that he could hand out. He basically handed out cards and said, are you in or are you out? So, look, you know, he had limited time, money, resources, so I get why he did what he did. But that would have been the number one. Like, people need to know the detail. Some people need to know the detail. Occasionally, you'll come across investors who will go, yep, back of the envelope, it works, I'm in. Um, but that leads me to my second key lesson, which is that, to invest in any project, particularly in the alternative space, you need to have no like and trust. And there's absolutely no way that you can do that after one meeting. So what happened was the meeting was held at a barber shop where in the previous week he'd gone and had a haircut and he'd, he'd given the guy a good tip. So the guy was, you know, feeling warm enough to him to organize a bunch of other business owners to come in and listen to Grant's pitch. But the problem is you cannot expect to build no like and trust from such a, a small amount of interaction. Like, don't get me wrong, like he did a, a fantastic job of pre-framing, expressing what the deal was, explaining at a high level how the deal was going to work. First thing is it's really hard to trust someone. Someone asked him the question, like, how much money have you got in the deal? And the answer was he has no, he had no skin in the game. He was really taking on responsibility for pulling the deal together, but he was asking everybody else to front the cash. Now, if you're someone who's a um, a very experienced, I guess, deal maker, if you like, for better want of a better word, 
and you're going to other people for capital and almost as a favor, potentially letting them participate in the deal. And that's what I've seen before. You know, you can gloss over, you can kind of skip through that know, like, and trust if, if it comes through referrals or whatever. But in this instance, you know, it's hard to trust someone, no matter how good a salesperson they are with no research. Um, even if, you know, you know, the market. So these guys who were in the barbershop, they knew that market, but they had no idea about his track record. And, and really all he said was, I know real estate. And that was kind of like, I know real estate. Trust me. I need you to front two mil eventually, um, to make this deal work. I can see that that was a, a tough sell, no matter how epic that deal was. And then what he kind of highlighted in that, you know, two or three minute segment is that, he is an awesome salesperson. So if you are pitching any kind of sales presentation product, anything, Grant Cardone, I think it would be hard to beat him. You know, he, he even says that like I could outsell anyone, which is awesome. But there's a huge difference between understanding at a high level that, you know, you know how to describe a deal and you can sell it and being a practitioner. And you need to know the difference. I think one of the big pitfalls that people have when they come to property investing, especially is every man and their dog is a self-proclaimed guru around property now. And it's hard to distinguish those that actually legitimately know what they're talking about and those that don't. And this is where marketing and sales kind of blurs with fact, if you like, or, or history or, or track record. Some people are just so good at selling that you know, that in itself will get majority of people over the line from a sales perspective. I'm really encouraging and I'm really passionate about this idea of needing to pull those two things about apart. Sorry, you just, just because somebody has great ability to sell and market doesn't necessarily make them a good practitioner. And as an investor, you need to know the difference. And from my perspective, what Grant did a fabulous job of is he's a great sales guy. What he, he sort of, inadvertently revealed though was that he didn't really know much about the detail. He's used to having this army of of people behind him that can answer all the questions about the nitty-gritties. So I think, you know, what I saw is he's a little out of touch with answering the detailed questions that people want to know. And, you know, every investor is different. Some people just need the high level numbers. Other people want to know more about structure. Other people want to know the nitty gritties of the project plan and the really talented, trusted advisors and deal makers know that they've got to cater to all of those different kinds of investors. And, and Grant certainly didn't do that in this, in this episode. The other thing that, um, you know, I really felt for him was he chose a deal where clearly the, you know, the deal was time sensitive, you know, especially when you're getting to know a strategy or a, or a person or a style of investing, the last thing you want is to be put under any kind of time pressure. And again, I really feel for investors today because number one, good deals are hard to come by. So when you do get a good deal that comes across your desk, um, often people are telling you, you've got to make a, you know an investment decision super fast. And we all know that that's the, the worst situation to be in. You feel under pressure. You feel like you know, it's a good deal or someone's telling you it's a good deal. Maybe you understand it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've done really good due diligence. Maybe you haven't. But I think the bottom line is that, you know, I'm from the school of thought, which is do your homework, feel comfortable with the strategy, how it works, how it's structured, be comfortable with the deal maker, 
who they are, how they work, their track record, be comfortable with how the deal is structured, what is your liquidity, you know, how are they going to communicate, all those deal, all those details. And then when you are ready to pull the trigger and the right opportunity comes along, you can make decisions quickly. The point I'm trying to make is there's a good deal every day of the week. And I think one of the mistakes that many investors make is thinking that those good deals that come along are never going to be repeated. Are good deals hard to find, Uh, particularly in a local market that maybe you fully feel comfortable and understand? Yes, those deals are hard to find. It's really easy to get swept up in the need for urgent decision-making. But what I would also encourage you to consider is that, you know, short thinking, spontaneous decision making with very little to back it can often land you in hot water. So guys, just to round this particular episode out, it's, um, it was a super fun thing to watch Grant Cardone. I felt for him. It was a, it was a tough situation, but you know, he, uh, he certainly showed that he, he, he's someone who has great grit determination and resilience. The lessons that I kind of wanted to share with you today are less about him and more about what you need to be thinking about if you really want to have a really successful path to financial freedom, if you want to avoid mistakes, and if you want to align with people who you know, like, and trust. So anyway, guys, till next time, take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.